everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, Jen here. Before we jump into talking about this week's episode and guest, I want to take a quick second to tell you about something I've been obsessing over lately. It's called Grove Collaborative. You've probably already heard about it. You already know that I am a lifetime fan of anything that will deliver right to my door. And that's just what Grove does. So they make it easy to discover the absolute best natural cleaning products to take care of your home and family. And they make sure you literally never run out of your favorites. It has sincerely been a game changer in the Hatmaker house. So Grove Collaborative carries so many great brands like Method, my personal favorite, Mrs. Myers, Burt's Bees, also some of their own label stuff. They even sell some products in concentrates. Um, I was I learned that most of the cleaning products that we buy are like 95% water. So with Grove, you get this beautiful reusable bottle to use for the products that come in concentrate. And so you just put in a little bit in the bottle, add your own free water and clean. So they've got as you probably know, so many great scents too. My personal favorite is Honeysuckle, but heads up guys, because they've got new fall scents coming out soon. I'm talking apple cider, peony blossoms, mum, and of course, uber fall favorite, pumpkin. I cannot wait for fall to officially get to Texas. So we are super excited to share some of this Grove love with you, the tribe of the For the Love podcast. So Grove Collaborative has very graciously extended an amazing new customer offer so everyone listening can try your own box of Grove stuff. So this special offer comes with a free Mrs. Meyer's gift set that's worth $30. So when you place any order of $20 or more, you get Mrs. Meyer's hand soap, dish soap, multi-surface spray, a kitchen towel, plus free shipping and a VIP trial membership. So to get all of this, you've got to go to grove.co slash for the love. So that's not grove.com. It's grove.co slash for the love. Now let's get started with this week's show. Hey everybody, it's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. So glad that you are here today because we are in the middle of an amazing series called For the Love of Parenting. We have all kinds of awesome experts on this series and the response to it's been great. So thank you so much for your feedback. And so our guest today is a really wonderful, smart voice. For those of us who are working moms, that is today's topic being a working mom, juggling it all. So this is Jessica Turner. She is a writer. She's a speaker. She's a blogger. She works full-time in corporate America on top of that. Um, she has three kids. Her husband, Matthew, is also a writer, and they are both dear friends of Brandon and I. Um, they are as, as good as gold. You are going to love Jessica today. So I think a lot of us can relate to this line in her bio where she said, every day I go 90 miles an hour trying to juggle too much. I love it all and have fun at the same time. I work full-time outside the home, but that does not stop me from loving my family and friends big time. And I'm listen, I'm telling you, as one of those friends, she's telling the truth. Jessica lives a really amazing life, and she manages it to do it all so well. And so she's bringing her expertise to bear today 
in this next hour. So in her first book, which is called The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You, um, that Jessica wrote a couple of years ago, she wrote about how we as women, especially as moms, tend to try to do it all, like everything from being super engaged, super present, super productive, super successful. Um, and then in addition, having all these meaningful things like change the earth, but then we often neglect our own self-care. So in The Fringe Hours, Jessica addressed why it was so important for women to make time for themselves um, and how to identify their own little pockets of time or what she calls fringe hours to practice self-care so that we are better moms, better wives, better employers and employees. And so her latest book, the one that we're really going to dial into today, hits on some of the same themes. um, But as a committed working mom, she really went to task on serious research. She conducted interviews with thousands of other working moms to understand the overall experience um, of what that demographic looks like in America right now. So her new book is called Stretch Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, and Thrive. Listen, I'm telling you right now, you're going to get so much out of this conversation today. Um, Jessica approaches this topic with a lot of grace and generosity, but a lot of expertise too. It's data-driven. It's research-based. Um, she's really interested in delving into others' experiences and teaching us what she has learned. And so um, this is practical. The This is pragmatic. We are going to put a lot of ideas in your hands today. If this area in your life feels like it's out of control in any way, if you feel like you're mired in guilt and you're not managing any of it well, this conversation is for you. So help me welcome Jessica Turner to the podcast. Welcome, my dear friend, Jessica Turner. Thank you for being on the series. Thank you for being on the podcast. Oh my goodness. It is my greatest joy. I'm giddy with excitement. And honestly, you're one of my dearest friends and I'm nervous. (laughs) <laughs> you are not. You are nervous. I'm oh my so- goodness. I could hardly sleep last night. I, I I was seriously nervous. And I feel so humbled that I'm included in this series. Well, listen, you know what I have said to you a million times, and I am not joking around that I just know everything because you tell me. Like, you're the person <laughs> who tells me things. You're the one who's like, this is how you do this better. This is how you run a business better. This is what you need to read. And literally, you know that I obey you. Whatever you tell me to do, I do the thing. And you are so, you're so capable, like your level of being a capable human being is so high. Um, so I, that's why I'm so excited. You're on this series too. You know, we're in the, for the love of parenting series. And we were just talking offline, um, about so many of the specific stressors around being a working mom. But as you just said a minute ago, not enough people are talking about this. I just don't feel like there's enough instruction and community around this specific um, messaging. So like, this is one reason I love your voice so much as a working mom. And I personally, as a working mom have benefited so much from what you have written and what you've said. And um, I think that a lot of us are really deliberate about that so-called balance. I mean, I'm literally doing air quotes with my fingers right now of just motherhood and full-time work. Uh, I don't, cause I don't honestly know if there's such a thing as balance. I'm not even sure that's the right word, but, um, I have lots of opinions on that word. I would like to hear it. Let's start there. What's your opinion on balance? Don't you feel like that's just some sort of idea that was sold to us? Yep, it absolutely was. Um, there's actually research around that idea being sold and and companies kind of embracing that notion. I read a book. I wish I could remember what book I read, but the man who wrote it talked about instead of work-life balance, he talked about work-life satisfaction. 
Oh, I like that. And I think that is such a game changer when you realize that there are going to be times in your life where work is heavier. There are going to be times in your life where kids are heavier, where marriage stuff is more is weighing on you more, you know? And if you have satisfaction in all of those different areas, however you identify those areas in your own life, that is what we're looking for. We're looking for happiness and satisfaction, not necessarily perfect balance. And so that's how I look through the lens of things. There are going to be seasons where I'm working a lot and things might appear to be out of balance, but if it's something that I'm really passionate about and it's just for a season, that's okay if I am satisfied in the work that I'm doing. Now, if I'm working too much and I hate my work, then we've got an issue, right? Because that satisfaction isn't there. Oh, that's a great um, toggle. I like that. I like that shift because you're absolutely right. There's no, I don't have any two months that are the same in a row. So it's, it's a constant shift. So I'm thinking about this, just this whole notion of being uh, working moms. And so, you know, I, I think this is something that uh, most of us stared in the face at one point or another, or like this enormous internal debate. Should, should I keep my job? Should I work full time? Should I be a stay at home mom? Or, or am I harming my children by not making them the center of my universe? Um, and, and then of course, for the majority of us, I would say that don't have a choice not to work, you know, absolutely. That's, that's, I think that's the majority story. Then the guilt even weirdly compounds. Um, and so I wonder if before we jump into all that you have learned and all of your research and all of your great advice, can you give my listeners a little bit of background on your journey as a working mom and what, what your mindset was, how did you approach work as you started having kids? Yeah. So my husband and I live in Nashville. We've been married 14 years and we have three kids. They are 10, seven, and three and a half. And for me, it was that I was always going to work because it was financially necessary for our family. My husband is a full-time writer. He writes kids Mm -hmm. books and um, is a photographer and freelancer. And so I also carried the benefits yeah. And I'm a bit risk averse. And so um, we've been through seasons where things were really lean. And so I really like having that regular check mm-hmm. coming in. I also really yep. like healthcare and 401k and all the things, right? <laughs> so um, I we decided that it made sense for me to kind of have the more traditional nine to five job. But also, I didn't ever really have that debate I don't feel mm-hmm. like Jen because I really like working. Yeah. Um, me too. And I think I'm a better mom. When I'm working, mm-hmm. um, certainly with having three kids and I've had a couple major surgeries, there have been seasons yeah. where I've been at home 24-7 and it's better for mommy to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so there really was never the discussion of, should I be a stay-at-home mom? Now, certainly we've had discussions of, you know, should I leave my nine to five and, you know, do something that would allow for more flexibility or whatnot. But ultimately, we've always come back to the fact that I really love where I work, the people that I work with, the type of work that I do. And so that just didn't ever make sense for us. And I think that is true for the bulk of working moms in America. I mean, something like 75% of American moms work. So this is a, a conversation that needs to be had. And it's something that we all deal with in our own homes. Now, figuring out what works best for you and your family's needs and what you want is a very personal decision. Um, but I think having conversations with other working moms about what yeah. is working well for them is really useful. And that's why in 
my book, Stretch Too Thin, I talked to so many working moms because I knew that my own experience was not the same as other moms and Mm -hmm. why it was necessary to have lots of different types of working moms represented Mm -hmm. in the book. I appreciate you saying right out of the gate that um, this was not in terms of like full-time work or stay at home was really never a debate for you internally, because the truth is, I think there's a lot of us that love our work. I, I, I would count myself in that category too. I love work and I'm, I'm better at my roles for work. And it's weird that we have to defend ourselves with that. It's so weird. Men do not have to ever say that, that, um, that they don't, they don't experience this, this conflict, um, between doing what they're good at and what they're made for and, um, and sort of their family. I I find this a very gendered, um, discussion in general, um, Mm -hmm. that women like you and I, who really love our jobs sometimes have to defend it. I have had to defend it before. And people will give me a side eye like, oh, your poor family. I'm like, cause I work like what in the world? Like most of the world's women work. And so it's interesting that, um, however, having said that, I, even those of us who really love our work still get in the weeds on all the things we're going to talk about on this podcast, because doing it well, um, it, it, it does hit some, some roadblocks sometimes. So I want to go back real quick before we, um, get into stretch too thin. I want to go back to your first book, the fringe hours, because in that one, you did a really great job of helping moms figure out how to carve out time for themselves amid all their demands, work, parenting, all of it. It was really practical. It was really empowering. You kind of gave us permission to say, Hey, you know what? I can actually have a little bit of time for myself and I'm not harming my children because I read a book for half an hour in my bedroom. Like just putting that sort of narrative out into the conversation was really useful for so many of us. And so I wonder if real quickly, you can just touch a little bit on that book's themes um, and how you unpacked all the feelings that moms have about taking time from themselves and what are the barriers to that, the guilt that sometimes goes along um, with deliberate self-care. Yeah. So I wrote The Fringe Hours really because I had so many women asking me how I was doing it all. They mm. were wondering, you know, how are you working full time and throwing these great birthday parties and blogging and finding time to scrapbook and do all these things that I was doing? And really, they didn't want to know how I was finding time to work. What they wanted to know, it was, how are you finding time to do things that you love? Because I'm not doing those things. Hmm. And so the answer was those fringe hours, those pockets of time that often go underused or wasted altogether. I was using them to do things that I loved. I was getting up early in the morning to write and to read. And I was sometimes saying no to doing chores so that I could take care of me. Because I think there's a lot of women out there who feel like they need permission to take care of themselves when really we need to be living by that oxygen mask philosophy that we've got to take care of ourselves before we can take care of everyone and everything else. And that when we do that, we are the best version of, of ourselves. And I'm a better mom when I'm taking care of myself. If I'm not taking care of myself, I am not a pleasant person to be around. And so the Fringe Hours was really about equipping women with some really practical advice of how can you find that time and make it a priority, just like you make so many other things in your life a priority. Totally. You, you really do this well. I mean, I, I am not surprised to hear that so many women were coming to you for that specific counsel because you work full time. And then you have all these side hustles too, by the way, which you barely mentioned. I mean, you work really hard outside of your 
your typical job stuff. And then you have this very vibrant, connected life because you're such a good friend and you're such a good mom, like over the top, good mom, like so good. And so you are, you really practice what you preach there. And, um, I have learned a lot from watching you be just so deliberate and efficient with your time. So I want to dive into the topic of your new book which kind of parlays really well out of the fringe hours, actually. So your new book, like you mentioned, it's called stretch too thin, how working moms can lose the guilt, work smarter and thrive. So already I love it. And (laughs) just the title alone is so hopeful. Um, it just feels like such a relief even to say that out loud. So I, I, what I love is that you're perfectly fine to get down in the muck with everybody and commiserate about how we are all indeed stretched too thin. But then you kind of just hit us over the head with this truth and you lead us out of the mire with all this knowledge that we really can do something about it. And then you proceed to show us, and this is straight up the way to my heart through like research and data that moves me, that compels me. That is what like gets me that moves the needle forward in my life. You use all this research and data that we, we really can reject guilt. We really can work smarter. We really can thrive. I love your practical heart. So will you tell everybody a little bit about some of the research you did to get to sort of the heart of the working mom experience kind of across our country, across genres, across, you know, different types of working moms? Yeah, absolutely. It was really important to me to write a book that wasn't my story as a working mom. And so research was the only way to do that. My day job, I work in healthcare. And and so research is really important in in academic healthcare, actually. So research is very, very important in the work that I do. So it's kind of the only way I know to go about things. So I started out by conducting a survey online and I had 2,000 working moms respond, which blew my mind. I hoped to get 500 to 1,000. I had 2,000 respond. So right there that said to me, okay, this is something people want to talk about. And it really touched on what are those major pain points of working motherhood. And so I had women rank their struggles and had some open-ended questions for them to share their own stories. And it was 500 pages of responses. And over and over and over again, women kept saying that they were stretched too thin. Yeah. And they described these different areas and it was our emotions like guilt Uh and comparison and all of those things Uh that we'll get into. It was finding time to invest in our marriages. It was feeling like we're parenting well. It was boundaries Mm -hmm. at work. It was home management. It was self-care. It was friendship. All of these things that we could probably rattle off on our own, Mm -hmm. or we could at least say a couple of those. And so the book takes each of those areas and kind of dives into the pain points and then Mm -hmm. gives some practical solutions. And so I found these areas and then I field tested it with an online course. And so I created an online course called Stretch Too Thin, 10 Days to Overcoming the Hustle and Thriving as a Working Mom, and had more than 2,000 women enroll in that course. It's amazing. So we had 2,000 do the survey, then 2,000 do the course. And by this point, I thought, okay, this need, I, this, I need to go even deeper than this. And so yeah. then that's when I started writing the book and um, doing one-on-one interviews on each of the different areas, both talking with working mm-hmm. moms and talking with counselors and specialists and you know home organizers and people with expertise in each of these different areas. Because even though I'm, I wrote this book, I still get stretched too thin. This is not to say sure. that I'm thriving 100% of the time, right? So- Mm-hmm. I did all of this research. The book has a hundred and notes. I mean, so oh many people that I talked to and, 
you know, the articles that I read and different things mm. um, to speak into this. Um, to really then put together a comprehensive kind of manual. So if you're feeling stretched too thin in any of these areas, you could open up the book just to that chapter, or mm-hmm. you could read the whole nine yards and find something in every single area, kind of whatever yeah. fits your story um, to to create something that I hope is a really useful guide. And and certainly every chapter could be its own book, right? Like you right. could write a, cha- a book just on stretch too thin in your marriage, right? Or stretch right. too thin just at work. But I'm hoping that by doing it this way, it opens the door to conversation and real life change for women in multiple areas of their lives. So let's talk about those areas a little bit because I, I it's, it seems to me that you just nailed them. These the, these are the exact ones that I would expect to see. Um, challenging to the working mom um, and what what you heard, what you're hearing, and what you wrote about. So um, the number one issue that you found across all your research was, and everyone's going to be like nodding their head when they hear it. I'm sure is home management. So the cooking, the cleaning, the maintenance, and I'm like, of course, like who hasn't had guilt about letting our kids eat two days of old leftovers? Cause we just can't do it. We can't get home and also cook dinner and do it all. Um, so I'm wondering what you, what you're hearing moms say about this specific area and how you're sort of helping them put this in the, in its proper place. What are some of your best practices in this one? Well, I will say I am with the 80% of women who said that this was an issue for them. So I yeah. was really affirmed by how many women said that their houses were always a mess, that they never had time yeah. to clean, that it wasn't just me because don't you feel like when you go to somebody's house and it looks amazing, you're like, why do I suck so much? Because if you came to my house right <laughs> now, you can't even eat at my dining room table because it's a dumping ground from all the you know paperwork oh and all the things, right? Totally it, same. I will literally text you a picture of my dining room table when we get off this podcast. Please, you will die. Please. You cannot even see one inch of the surface. I mean, yes, yes. exactly. And so I, at first I was just really affirmed. I was writing the book and I included quotes from the survey directly from the survey, what people said yeah. about their houses. And I was like, oh, I hope when women read this, they say, nod their head and say, okay, I am yeah. not alone, right? Don't we sometimes just need to say we're not alone? I had one woman say that literally when someone comes to her house, she's steps on her porch and shuts the door because she doesn't want anyone to see in. And I said, I mean, we have all been there, you know? So I think that was really affirming. So I had to talk to a lot of experts because I'm not awesome at this. Um, But Mm. systems and organization, obviously, is huge. And when you put those systems in place, it makes things really easy. So one pain point specifically in my house was my linen closet. My linen closet's really deep. Mm. It has these really big shelves. And every time I had to go in there, it was stressful to find, you know, the twin, we've got twin beds, queen beds, king bed, baby bed. Like I cannot find it. It's so overwhelming every time. Right. So I had a 31 party. 31 is like organizational company. And I sold enough stuff that I was able to get these bins all embroidered to say like king sheets, Uh, queen sheets, twin sheets. Okay. And my mom, who is amazing at cleaning and organization, we don't know how I came from her womb. She came to town for the weekend and she set up that closet for me. And now every time I go in that closet, I am never stressed. Right. And so sometimes it's tackling that mess to put a system in place that's going to work for you so that then you aren't going to be constantly overwhelmed. And it's figuring out what those things are throughout your house. You know, when you walk in our house, we've got some Mm -hmm. baskets by the door for shoes. I've Mm -hmm. seen you post. I still remember that picture you posted 
of all the laundry baskets. Yes. Like, I will never forget that picture. I'm like, I want that laundry room and all those baskets sorted by person and color, right? Oh so my gosh, yes. The systems that are going to work for you. One of the organizers that I talked to, she said, um, you know, people really love those glass jars that you put your oatmeal in and your flour. And, but mm-hmm. some people get really overwhelmed by filling those jars and they never actually refill them. And so then that mm-hmm. tends to not be a good system for you. So you've got to figure yeah. out what the systems are going to be that are going to be helpful for you um, and then move forward. Also, you and I are huge fans of this scheduling everything to be delivered. So you never have to shop and you never run out of everything. Oh my gosh. Right? Yes. Uh, because that, that as a working mom, not having to have the mental load to manage laundry detergent yeah. and soap and yep. paper towel and all, and just know that that is going to come to my house is huge. And yes, signing up for those things and getting it set up takes time. But once you do it, you never have to do it again. And you don't yep. have to have that load. And that load that we carry, particularly as working moms, is so heavy and burdensome as it is that mm-hmm. anything that you can do to streamline those processes is huge. Um, yes. I really like, I like what you're saying because none of this is complicated. No, none of those suggestions is like beyond our capacity or something only like fancy people can do. They're kind of simple and ordinary, but the thing is they matter. They make a dent. They really do. Like I don't sometimes realize how much energy, how much emotional energy I am giving away to chaos. Um, because it's like this black cloud of doom over my shoulders that I can't quite identify. I just feel like I'm behind on some stuff and I can't get a hold of it. But ha- just having them wrangled into really ordinary but simple systems, it it really does matter. Like I can feel some of the pressure go out of the pressure cooker um, when I know I am never again going to run out of toilet paper. And the reason is because you, my person who tells me everything, told me about Grove. And so now, just like you, all of my home supplies are delivered to my house and I will, that's it. It's amazing. It's just one less thing. It's one less thing to manage. I like all this very practical, like here's how you just sort of start ratcheting down your chaos and stress and have a relief. So home management for sure. I mean, I'm like here, here when I, when I read that, um, another biggie that you found in your research, um, that working moms, say they struggle with is obviously something you already know a lot about, which is self-care. Um, you obviously address this really well in the French hours, but I wonder what, did you find that women in your research are saying anything specific about this area? How many of them are actually taking time for this? And can you give us a little insight on what your latest sort of self-care practices are like pragmatically? Um, and how, how can we see this as being important to our well-being and our ability to do all the rest of our work better? Right. So nearly four out of five working moms who responded to the survey said that they struggled with self-care. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because when you make the list of all the things that have to be accomplished in the day, the easiest thing for us to cross off to not worry about is ourselves, yep. that we'll get to ourselves later. And what happens is then we start running on empty. Right. And then the other things fall off the track. I spoke at a conference a few years ago and was talking about self-care and had everyone write down when the last time was that they lost track of time doing something that they love, which for Mm. me, that happens every single week. Um, I was up last night till 1230 reading a book. And this woman who I called on, I, I said, when was the last time you did that? And she said, before I had kids. And I said, okay, how old are your kids? And she said, my oldest is 14. Hmm. 
She literally could not remember doing something for herself. Gosh. For 14 years to the point where she had, you know, lost track of time doing it. And that just broke my heart. And mm. I, I experienced a little bit of that after I wrote the fringe hours, I actually released the fringe hours and had a baby all within six weeks. And so that was <laughs> a lot madness. of madness. It was a lot of birth going on. Um, and yeah. so in that year, I wasn't doing a lot of reading. I was taking care of a newborn and I was working on book stuff and I was working full time and I was tired and um, reading is my number one thing that I like to do. That is my big self-care thing. And interestingly, in the survey I did for the Fringe Hours, reading was the number one thing women said they would want to do if they had time Oh, really? Themselves. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. And, and so for me, that's a, a big one is you can directly tell how well I'm doing with taking care of myself by how many books I'm reading <laughs> at yeah. any given moment, right? And so um, at the end of that year, when I realized I had only read a handful of books, I said, this is got to change. I cannot keep living like this. And I read 50 books that next year. And I've continued to read at that 50 to 60 range. And that's, that's kind of the good spot for me where I know that Mm -hmm. I'm reading about a book a week, you know, all year long. Um, obviously other big ones for people are exercise is a really big mm-hmm. one. Um, I wish it was a really big one for me. I, I'm sort of like an exercise ish person. We go in, in phases. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. want it to be, but it just never, never is. I got a bike for under my desk. So I feel like that's something, you know, I'm, I'm exercising. You got a what? A little like bike that goes under your desk. So it's just the what pedal on a bike. Yeah. So then when I'm sitting, I can pedal my feet. So oh I feel like God. I'm still getting exercise. I'm being very efficient with my time by doing oh that. Oh my gosh, working, right? that is crazy. <laughs> We're going to post a picture of that. I did not know that was a product. Yeah, I didn't know it, that existed. It, it does exist. I, mine actually, I got on Kickstarter. So it's like the first social bike and I can like download an app and see how other people are cycling compared to me, but I don't know anyone else who has my social bike, but whatever. Um, (laughs) And then certainly there's the things that we all think about like massages and pedicures and those sorts of things. But, you know, it's also really life-giving, particularly for women, for relationships with people, you know, like Mm. me having time with my book club is huge for me and just time together with neighbors and friends and dining together and that sort of thing. I can't do those things exclusively for self-care. I've got to have that Mm -hmm. just Jessica time. Um, But I think it's important to remember that self-care sometimes is a communal thing. That is such good advice because I think the term self-care has gotten a really, really bad rap um, because it's just been attached to such in just sort of um, kind of indulgent and really what's the word I'm looking for? Um, unnecessary, mm-hmm. unnecessary. Self, yeah, and just yeah. or like very luxurious, like things right. that women can't even really afford or whatever. But the truth is, everything you just named—that's my top tier list of actual self care, which is reading. I'm just like you. Yep. Um, time with friends is—I almost might put that top for me, and th- th- that all counts as self care too. That is what makes us healthy. It makes us feel connected. It makes us. Um, feel like we're living a vibrant life. And so, you know, when you hear self-care, don't automatically think that means a 90 minute massage. I mean, it might, it might for you, but that's not necessarily like, that's a really narrow definition um, of the term. I I love that you continue to address this. Um, Not because we are wanting to just build a me first society, but because this sincerely makes us better people. Like it, it absolutely makes me a better wife, mom, boss, leader, a hundred percent. I, I'm like you, I can track seasons of when I am absolutely off the rails 
and I hate everybody and they hate me and I'm terrible and I can't get on top of any of it. And all the things you just mentioned are absent. So absolutely. Uh, and and yeah. you know, one other thing, if I can add, Jen, yeah, um, I think it's really important for us to model this for our children. And I don't know that we realize that, but it is yeah. so important for our kids to see us taking time to do things that we love for them to see us exploring our passions for being yeah. creative to just be sitting reading a book and know that downtime is okay and that self-care is important that making time for those doctor appointments is important we didn't even really get into health very much yeah. but you know getting your teeth cleaned twice a year going to the doctor every year and getting that annual checkup mm -hmm. and all of the mammograms and all of those things that's so important for our kids to see and to model that behavior. My mom is an amazing painter. And I remember waking up, she would paint when we were in bed. And I remember waking up in the morning and being so excited to go to the kitchen table and see what she had painted while I was asleep. And so I don't remember ever not seeing my mom taking care of herself. That was always part of her story. So I grew up seeing creative expression around me. And so that was really natural that I would take time to craft and do those types of things um, with my kids being around. But I think we need to remember we're actually doing our kids a disservice if they don't ever see us taking care of ourselves. Great, great, great point. Um, I, even as you're talking, and I'm thinking about my super high value on friendship and community, like here on the ground, like in real life, um, my parents, that was always one of their top values. And I never, ever knew a life outside of my parents and all their friends. Like, that's just what we did. We vacationed together. They were at our house all the time. We were at theirs. We barbecued. I did not know that that's not how everybody lived. And so it is true that some of that really good modeling transfers to our kids and they grow up in healthy practices. Isn't it ironic too? Because typically when we are sacrificing all that, we think we are doing it for the kids and you're right. It actually does them a disservice. We are, I don't think it's really healthy at all to have kids who believe because it's true that they are the absolute centrifugal force of the universe. I, I don't, I just don't think that's good for kids at all. Um, and then they just don't grow up and know how to be an adult. Absolutely. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about something I'm really excited about. You all know Melanie Schenkel, and if you don't, you should, because she is equal parts hilarious and wise. She was on the podcast last fall, and we had the absolute best time. You should go listen. Melanie is also a New York Times bestselling author, and she's written a new book just for tween girls. It's called Fearless Faith, 100 Devotions for Girls. Fearless Faith is an interactive book that engages girls from about age eight on up and encourages them to be brave in their walk with God. And so for those of us with daughters, finding ways to empower them through what they see and read is it's a lifesaver. So this book asks questions that meet them really right where, they're, where they are. Like, what are three things that make you happy? Um, what do you worry about? So fearless faith also has 100 days of devotions and they're numbered instead of dated. So obviously girls can start their devos at any time and pick up where they left off if they miss a few days. So listen, parents, this is one worth the investment. It's available now anywhere you like to buy books. And I encourage you to get it today. Fearless faith, 
100 devotionals for girls from my delightful friend, Melanie Shankel. I want to talk about this. The third highest challenge that you found among working moms that you surveyed was making time for their spouse or partner or significant other. So I like started nodding my head when I read that because sometimes uh, truthfully, Brandon and I can absolutely operate like ships passing in the night. We're more like, um, co-managers. We're almost more like roommates, right? right? Just, just managing, managing the kids, managing the house, managing our careers. And then we'd be like, Oh my gosh, hi, you like, what are you doing? What's going on in your life? I haven't talked to you in six months. Um, and so I wonder, (laughs) (laughs) what are you hearing other women say and, and how do you approach this in your own life? And what do you suggest to us in your book? Yeah, it's so true. And it's so interesting to hear you say that because you and I are in slightly different stages of motherhood, right? Like I've still got diapers in my house. You've not had diapers for quite a few years, right? And so um, both of us are citing that this is something that happens. And it it was interesting because in the survey, women talked about like, they're just too tired, right? They're just too tired. You have gotten work done all day and then you come home and it's dinner and baths and homework and you just are dead by the by the time everyone goes to bed and so it's like you have nothing else to give and you live like that for a lot of years and then all of a sudden you're like who is this person Totally. Um, it, it's really interesting. I was talking with a coworker um, a while back and we were on a trip and she was saying how it's amazing how at like seven to 10 years, you'll start to see a bunch of your friends divorcing. Mm. And um, that then this, and so I was talking about that with a friend, how this other friend had said that. And she said, yeah, what's even more interesting is, and she was in kind of your stage of life where kids were in college. Uh She said, you'll actually see that again when your kids go to college where Mm. 20, 25 years and people start getting divorced because they realize they have nothing in common because they haven't invested in their marriages at all. And what a, that was a powerful story for me to hear because I was like, I do not want that, 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 you know what, your kids are going to go away and you are left with your spouse. So you need to be investing in your spouse as much as you're investing in your kids. And so uh, in the stretchy thing, I go through a lot of different options of ways to do this. Uh, For Matthew and I, date nights are really important. Um, Living in Nashville, we're spoiled that we get to go see a lot of live music. True. And go to a lot of shows. So that can kind of force us to, because, you know, for live shows, you're buying tickets forever in advance. So um, we might be really busy and tired, but you know what? We bought those tickets. So we're, we're going <laughs> totally. out and kind of have that forced date night. But I think buying those, buying tickets is a great way to ensure that you have that regular date night, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people going out is cost prohibitive and you don't have to go out to say, this is going to be our night. I spoke with That's a right. marriage therapist for the book. And he talked about for a lot of people, Sunday nights are kind of the couple's night. And Mm. they just know that that is going to be the night where they're going to really invest in one another and kids go to bed on time, or that's the night where kids are going out or whatever it is, you know, Saturday or Sunday night. Um, But have that regular time. I know Matthew and I 
have a couple shows that we both really like. Um, one that's on Sunday nights, Walking Dead. And so Sunday nights, uh, the kids yeah. know like 7.55, everyone is in bed. No one is coming <laughs> downstairs right. no matter what. <laughs> Mommy and daddy's night, you know? So, um, you know, and then like, let's be honest, like getting naked, that can really yeah. help invest in a marriage, yeah. right? And And I feel like, when we aren't doing that often, that yeah. is impacting our marriage. And yeah. we both we both recognize that and we both need mm-hmm. that, you know, like making time for that physical intimacy. You know, you might be like, oh, I'm tired, but it doesn't take long to get not tired, right? Like, let's be honest. Right. So, <laughs> right. Right. Nor does it take that long to get to the end. Make that happen, right? Um, and yeah. then, you know, like, show kindness to one another. And, you know, sometimes I feel like poor Matthew gets the short end of the stick, you know, when I am tired and overwhelmed, he is the one that gets the very worst version of myself. And I hate to say that, but it's true. And I think if we, most of us are honest, that probably would be true in our lives as well. And so recognizing that and apologizing and being polite and being kind and practicing active listening where you aren't already preparing what you're going to say back, but you're really listening to what your spouse has to say can make such a big difference. Like looking up from your phone, putting your phone down, having eye contact, be in the same room when you're talking, you know, Um, and then asking for help. This is such a huge one I found specifically with working moms is they feel like they need to do all the things. And sometimes I feel like our spouses just need to hear that we need help with that area, you know, that Mm -hmm. we just need to say, Hey, can you do this for me? I, it's really overwhelming for me to do the dishes and do the kids baths or whatever that thing is. Um, in the marriage chapter, I have this citation about this list of different types of intimacy and the intimacy Mm. list is well beyond physical intimacy. It talks about emotional intimacy. It talks about work intimacy and conflict intimacy and all these different ways that we share intimacy. There's 13 different types and the work intimacy I thought was so interesting because, um, like if I come home and Matthew has folded a load of laundry, I feel so loved. And that's so bizarre to me until I did this research and and had this therapist talk about this list. I was like, oh, that's so true because I feel seen when he does Mm -hmm. that thing for me. Right. And so um, I think going through that list and figuring out what those things are in your marriage can be really powerful and make a big difference. Oh, I think that's so good. Everything you just said is underrated. Um, I, you know, when you say the word intimacy, I think a lot of people, of course, immediately jump to sex, which is one form of intimacy for sure. But everything else to me, that, that is all the soft tissue that makes the whole mechanism work. The, just the basic kindness, just basic eye contact. I mean, it's not fancy. Um, but just making that 100% Um, when I am dissolving or disintegrating, Brandon gets the worst of me. Um, Mm -hmm. and so those little steps are, they, they make such a big impact, um, in intimacy, which ironically typically means that sexual intimacy gets its own gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. You know, that's those things fuel that space, which for women is sometimes the last right. um, priority. And um, I, I'm really grateful that you included that section um, because I think, again, just like self-care tends to probably get kicked to the curb, I think intimacy with our partners and husbands and spouses does too. I think that is what we just kind of think, you know what, this thing's just going to go on momentum or it's just going to keep itself on the tracks. 
Um, but then you're right. All of a sudden you look up at 25 years, kids are out of your house. You're like, I don't even know you. Like we yeah. are just disconnected. So that's really profound advice. I do want to just give a shout out to the moms who are listening who are single moms. Um, oh, because yeah. It was, I really thought about whether or not I should include marriage in there. And ultimately I included it because so many women cited it. It was something like 80%. But the moms who are out there doing all of this and working who don't have a spouse as well have their own set of challenges. And so I just want to recognize that, that I, that this is not going to be everybody's story. And, um, and so I just wanted to be sure that I, I said that, and I should have said that at the start of the conversation. That's a great point. There really is no one size fits all here in this, in this space. We, you and I both have a ton of readers and listeners who are single moms. So, um, and then, I mean, they're, they're eventually going to have to sort out how to date. Can you even imagine? No, <laughs> like so stressful. They need an own, their own book for how to do, how to date and be a parent. I just can't, I cannot even imagine. Yeah. Um, I love that you gave them a shout out too, because, um, you know, for a lot of our listeners, there is no sharing the duty. There yeah. is no, I'm going to come home to a laundry basket full of fold, folded clothes. Right. Um, and so it, that is a, that's a special kind of load to carry. And so many women are doing that with so much grace and courage. They're pretty fantastic to watch. Um, I want to talk about something else that you brought up that you discovered in your survey, which I feel really, um, I identify with this a lot because I struggle with this. Um, and it was that a lot of your working moms said they struggle with how to leave work at work. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I think for a lot of us, our, our work is such a big part of our life. Um, for, so, for some of us, our, our literal soul is mirrored in our work and we find a lot of definition from what we do. And it can be really hard to put it all on the shelf once we're home, um, and be fully present for ourselves, for our families. For me, this is added it's, it's more complicated because I work from home. So I don't even have a signal to my brain. Like I'm getting in the car and going away from this location to my home. It's all the same for me. So, and my work is not traditional. I don't, I don't have an eight to five job like you do. So it's all of a sudden it's, why am I working at 1045 at night? So I, I struggle with this. So I'm curious what are other women's experience here? Um, and how would you walk us through what it might look like to leave work at work? Yeah. So what was really interesting was that the data from the survey, I didn't feel reflected real life because I think a lot of us have struggled to admit like you have that we struggle with this. We're like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm totally present when actually we are still checking our phones you know, 500 times, or we still are responding to that email in the bathroom, or we're looking at our phones before we're even out of bed, right? And so I think it's really important for women to be honest about what this is like in in their life, Um, whether they have a nine to five like me, and they don't have a side hustle, or they're working full time at home like you are, and those boundaries are more difficult maybe to establish, is really be honest about how you're spending your time. And and one way to do that is to track your time for a week. Yeah. 
and see where you're where you're investing your time and be really honest about the email and the conference calls and uh-huh. all the things, right? That's going to give you a partial picture, but then just uh-huh. start paying attention and recognize where you need to put those boundaries in place. So for one thing, for me, I noticed that I was picking up my phone a lot um, at night when I got home and looking at work email. And so I put the plug for my phone in a different room. So it wasn't in the main room that I was in where I didn't have that super easy access to it. Um, You know, I think somebody that I talked to said that they had automatic lights in their home office that turned off at five o'clock so that they would stop working. Hmm, a, wow. a, a way to establish that boundary for themselves. Um, sometimes it's when we go on vacation and we're still checking work email every single day. Um, my boss yeah. will actually delete Outlook from her phone when she's going on vacation. Yes. And she said, yep. if I need to be reached, if something is an emergency, please text me because I am not going to be looking at email while I'm on vacation. Um, know, and so, so figuring out how you can establish those boundaries. And sometimes it is pretty radical. Like, leaving your job and going somewhere else so that you can have better boundaries. That was actually something that I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Oh, a, you mean like a career change? A Is career that what you change. Mean? Yep. That's exactly yeah. what I mean. Um, and so in my case, I left the agency that I was at because I did not have good boundaries and just the way in which we worked and hustled at that agency, which I loved my time there. I learned so much, but I knew with my growing family that I didn't want to have the boundaries that I had there. And so mm-hmm. I found a job where I could could really leave my work at work and I could just be there, you know, 8.30 to 5. Yeah. Um, also, I think we really need to be better about speaking up and saying no. Yeah, saying, I do too. You know, like we never will regret saying no, but we often will regret saying yes. Totally. But just say no at the front end and make your life a lot easier and frankly, make your colleagues' lives easier, make your own work life easier by not having that on your plate. Um, Even if it is a no, not right now, and and you decide you want to come back to it. But say if you're overwhelmed, have those honest conversations with your boss or with your team and say, how can we make changes so that I can be a better coworker, how I can better steward the work that you've given me and do that really well. That means we sometimes have to have the courage to speak up at our jobs. Um, And then I think identifying flexibility. And and so that's going to look different um, depending on the type of career you're in, you know, for the nine to five kind of traditional space that I'm in, um, in corporate America, my work, um, is a huge, huge company, one of the largest employers in Tennessee, and they have the option to where you can work from home one day a week. And so that is something that I take advantage of. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing while I'm at home, but it does save Mm -hmm. me that hour of commute time. I'm able to start working the second my kids leave for school. And then I'm able to end working a little sooner. And, um, instead of taking my lunch break with, colleagues and chatting in the kitchen, you know, I'm throwing in a load of laundry or whatever. And that's made a huge difference in my work-life balance satisfaction, you know, discussion. So I think identifying if you need flexibility and what that can look like and having those types of conversations um, is also something that's really important in this area. That's so great. And you know what, for people listening, thinking, well, how nice for you, you, you might be surprised, um, what your employer would consider you, you may like my, my sister, you know, you've, you, you see me post about my nephew constantly, my brother and my sister-in-law just had a baby and 
I just can't. I have no chill. I can't handle um, it. Man. <laughs> I, just, I, can't, I can't find a lower gear. I can't gear down. Um, but she works full time and still does. Um, but she went to her employer and essentially said, I, I want to put in a proposal and basically do it on a um, probationary period in which I work from home like two and a half days out of the week. And she was like, let's just track my productivity. And if you, if my work is slipping, if I'm missing deadlines or whatever, then let's just pull it off the table. And he was like, okay, let's, I mean, she was the first person to ever suggest it in her workplace. Um, so it wasn't in place. It wasn't a conversation that had ever been had. Um, but because it was sort of a low risk scenario for her employer, cause she, she essentially said, if my work doesn't stand up, then, then we'll just scrap it all together. And he agreed to it. And so I'm, you know, I think people listening might, you may just be surprised what, um, your opportunities could be or what chance, your employer may take on you if you put in a pretty decent proposal. I would also say back to something you just mentioned about boundaries, because you're like pressing on my, like, that's where I hemorrhage. Um, <laughs> and it's where I've had to learn the most. My assistant, Amanda helps me with this because I think on a lot of our boundaries, it, we as working moms would benefit from foresight. Like in other words, I, sometimes the tail for me just wags the dog. Like right. I, if somebody asked me something in February, it's not going to be till September. And I just say yes. Cause it's so far away. And oh my gosh. Um, and then I get to it and I realize this was a terrible yes. So my assistant is like, she'll, she'll say to me, what can, what do we need to block off? You've got May, you have a graduation season. How about we mostly block off the end of May and beginning of June? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's smart. Um, and she'll, so she helps me think ahead so that in advance, when those, some of those options pop up, I already know, oh wait, I've already, I've already carved that out. I'm already going to say no to that. And then when I get to it, I want to go back and kiss my own self on the mouth that I made that decision six months earlier. Um, and so I think there is this also this sense of being proactive here, not just constantly reacting to all the things that, so, you know, we end up having to make the bed that we, we have to lay in the bed that we made. And so, um, everything you're saying right now is like zinging my head. These are all the things that actually make life worth living. Um, when our, what did you call it earlier? Works at work, work home satisfaction. Yeah. Work life satisfaction. And I think what you were saying regarding your sister-in-law and asking is so, so important and something that women really need to hear. The research shows again and again and again, study after study after study that people are more productive when they work from home and they have flexibility. And so you can mm -hmm. find a lot of data to back up a proposal like what your sister-in-law did saying there would be value in this. We actually piloted it for two weeks at at my office because we were doing a remodel and everyone worked from home and everyone was extremely productive during that time. And so that's what then gave the push for our department to get that regular work from home day. I love that. I, I just, I, you know how many women's brains are on fire right now thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to propose that I work Fridays from home. Um, and then of course you're actually motivated to be, if not equally productive, even more because you don't want to lose your work from home day. So I, I'm not Absolutely. surprised at all to hear the data suggest that this is a smart move by employers. 
um, and companies. Although so I'd me- caution the Fridays because oh, yeah. Fridays can be perceived as like, oh yeah, you're really taking a three day weekend. So, <laughs> Great point. so maybe like our work from home days are only Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So just something <laughs> to be mindful of when you're doing that proposal. <laughs> that is a great point, actually. I mean, even like internally, I'd be like, you know what? It's noon. Isn't it weekend yet? Um, you're right. <laughs> Tuesday would be a much more productive day. So right, I think right. in all this and all these conversations you and I are having right now, um, just women in general tend to give in to guilt, I think a lot. And, um, you know, much ink has been spilled here, but our social media culture, um, is a part of this. We just, we are constantly inundated with other women around us who seem like they're doing everything better than we do. Cause that's what you can do on a curated social media, um, feed. So, I mean, this has been a lot of my bread and butter as a writer is talking about mom fails for crying out loud. Um, so those are real. And although we joke about them, I think in the deepest recesses of our hearts, we actually do often feel like we're doing it wrong and whatever it is, we're just doing the things wrong. Um, and so I, I write about this a lot and I think about this a lot too, because I, I really want to encourage women who feel that way. And, um, I honestly think we're all doing a much better job than we think, than we are giving ourselves credit for, um, than we are going to be remembered for. Um, I think there's a lot of room for grace here. So I wonder what your thoughts are on how women can sort of step through these weird, murky feelings of guilt and shame, um, and sort of get to the other side of that. Right. So I think it's recognizing where the guilt is coming from? And is there something there that you should listen to? Or is it just a lie? So Hmm. for instance, if you feel guilty, because you are missing your kids soccer games every weekend, because you have to work, is there a way for you to change your schedule so that you can be at that soccer game and you won't feel guilty? Hmm. Or if you can't, do you need to have a conversation with your child? Do you, you know, do you just need to um, have a conversation with yourself about why this, your work matters and how um, you can't help that you have to miss those soccer games? And this is what you're called to do for helping your family because you're passionate about it, you know, and that is the story for this particular season, right? Um, and so I think it's recognizing where that guilt is coming from. And is there something that is teachable or is it just flat out a lie. You know, mm, I've, I, good. I have felt guilty because I volunteered to, you know, bring cupcakes for the bake sale, you know, and mm. I think, oh goodness, I have to make the cupcakes from scratch, you know, and oh, so then Lord. I get myself all stressed out and make the cupcakes and I take them and then everyone else has bought, you know, cupcakes from right. the grocery store, right? Totally. You know, like that is guilt that I put on myself that has yeah. no truth. There's, n- there's nothing to be learned mm. from that except my goodness, you do not need to do what you see on Pinterest every single time, right? Good. So, so I think recognizing where that is coming from and is there something that you need to do to change that? Or is it something that there really has no basis for that? And you're, you know, making your decisions based on people's highlight reels on social media instead of what actually is true for your own life. That's a, such good advice. Um, Cause you're right. Some of it is positively invented. It is not real. Absolutely. It is not, it has no merit. Um, all that is doing is stealing joy and energy away from reality. And, um, and I like to your other point, in some cases, if there's just a continual like guilt point, 
maybe there is an easy adjustment to make. Maybe there is something you can just toggle a switch a little bit and really get relief in that space or rearrange. So I I just like this. I, I, I like everything that you're saying because we're not just victims of our own life. And I don't like when women think that we are that, well, all this is just happening to me. Right. And I have no control and I can't, I can't make any meaningful changes here and I can't propose something new and I can't re-envision another way. Frankly, that's just not true. There really is. There are a lot of levers to pull here in the working mom and home life that we can pull. And, and even if there's small adjustments, they really can make a monumental difference in our emotional health, in our family life, in our work life. And I think your book is just chock full of these ideas, of these levers. And like you so beautifully mentioned at the top of the hour, not every working mom needs to pull every lever, you know, but the the places where we're like, ah, this keeps rubbing. And so it needs a little bit of attention. I just love, you've just dropped so many good ideas in our lap to say, just try this. Just, and you know what? The worst thing that happens is it doesn't work. (laughs) Okay. I mean, what, what have we really lost? Absolutely. And, you know, I think sometimes we just need to say to somebody that this is how I'm feeling and have somebody else validate it for you. Um, When my little girl was in kindergarten, um, you know how in kindergarten they love to do packets where the kids draw pictures and tell stories. And so it was the end of the year. And we'll see if I can get through the story without crying because I cry almost every single time. Um, She brought home this packet and she had to draw her three favorite moments from the year. I can feel my throat welling up. And one of the pictures that she drew was Matthew um, coming to her class, reading to her class. Okay. And you know who wasn't in those pictures was mommy. Hmm. And I just wept. Just like, I mean, this was two years ago and I'm still crying over it. But I just wept because I was like, she's going to remember you at her school because he's Hmm. got the flexible job. And she's going to remember mommy at work. And I just wept and, Ad- and Adeline was right there. Like, I mean, I lost it when I saw that little picture mm. and, you know, her little five-year-old hand stroked my cheek and she said, oh, mommy, I'm sorry. I should have drawn when you came for the Valentine's party. And she left and Matthew was like, you are a great mom. Like yes. she is not going to rem- remember that you weren't there. And in that, but that moment to me is like, the guilt moment that that moment makes me feel like oh did i make the right choice loving mm-hmm. my work and and i know that i have um, i can give you a million examples of why totally. i should be right where i am but that is the one that brings up that feeling you oh. know and and sometimes we need somebody else to come alongside of us and say you're a great mom yes. um whether that's your spouse or that's a friend or it's somebody on social media whatever you know yeah. sometimes we we just need to hear it and you have been someone who's affirmed that in my life and um I think it's okay to admit sometimes when we feel guilty it's good uh, it's always okay to admit it not sometimes um but if that is real talking about it sometimes can be the only way to overcome it Mm, I love that. Instead of tucking it away in this like private shame chamber of our heart, but to bring it out. I'm so glad that you did that because Matthew then had the opportunity to tell you, he probably could have listed 1000 beautiful moments that you had engineered as a mom just in that calendar year. Um, and so you, you gave him the opportunity to combat that 
that sort of insidious light. And thank you for sharing that. I have had so many moments like that too. And I'm so grateful for my own husband and my own friends and colleagues who can come in and say, you're kind of telling yourself a story right now. That's not really all the way true. Like this is, this is an embellished invented story. I'm like, that's how I do. I, that's how I made a career like embellishing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So listen, we're asking a couple of wrap up questions for every guest in the parenting series. Um, and so here's the first one. Um, so as a, as a parent, I wonder if you could give us two moments. Um, one moment, you know what, you really just gave us the, the underbelly moment. That was a sincere low moment for you. So I'm going to skip that one. So give us a moment where you were just like, you know what? I nailed this. Like I absolutely nailed this as a parent. I got this exactly right. Um, and you have so many, but what's one of your favorite moments as a mom? So this might feel kind of shallow, but I feel like I nail it every Halloween. You do Jessica. So over the top. I love Halloween. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I'm Jessica N. Turner, and you should be following me right now because Halloween prep is really gearing up, and I realize that it's still summer. I don't care. Fine. Um, But we, for the past five years, have done family Halloween costumes, and my biggest regret as a mother that I didn't start them when my my first son was born. I don't know why I waited so long, but we've done... (laughs) Little Red Riding Hood. We've done oh, yeah. Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz. Last year was the epic Mario Brothers, yeah. which people have already said to me, how are you going to top Halloween this year? And I, my friend, I think we will this year. I, oh, I, I really think, you. I think this might be even better than Nintendo. Um, but I, I just love Halloween. Yes. I hand make somewhere between 50 and 80% of the costumes. <laughs> I know. And it is so much fun for me. And it is so much fun, like seeing everyone's reactions and like my kids seeing everyone's reactions because my husband and I dress up to take them trick or treating. And it is such a blast. And I, I believe fully that they will remember it very fondly from their childhoods. And I just really think I nail Halloween. It you is nail favorite. Halloween. And uh, <laughs> for those of you listening to Jessica and you're new to her, I also want you to just go ahead and peep your eyes at her feed at what she does for birthdays, because mm. you are also like, write a book, good birthday mom. I mean, you're so- <laughs> you, are, you nail you nail holidays. You are really good at the grand moments. Like I really I, love all the things like that. You yep. do. And you are so, it's so Thank fun to you. watch you. It's so fun. <laughs> uh, is it too soon to tease out your Halloween costume? Is it going to be a surprise reveal? <sighs> it is going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. But I'll be, I, I always kind of let the cat out of the bag on Instagram stories because I'm like so proud of like the working on moments and I usually just work on them in October, but because of the book this year, I started them this summer. So Instagram stories is where you might be able to find a sneak peek, but it's, it is, it's worth it this year. It's good. Okay. I don't have any doubt about it, that it's good. Okay. Last, (laughs) last question. You know, I ask everybody this one. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor quote, um, what, uh, what's saving your life right now? Books are saving my life right now. Books are always saving my life. Yeah. I, I just good fiction writing, really good storytelling. I I just 
cannot get enough of really, really good, good books. Mm, I feel, can you give us like, can, I didn't prep you for this, but can you just rattle off maybe the top books that you've just recently read or that you're reading right now that you would recommend? Yeah. Yeah. The, the great alone, Kristen Hanna's new book. I absolutely loved, um, I loved it so, so much. The, um, memoir North of Normal, I really loved, I loved Educated, which is another memoir, um, an American Marriage. Oh my goodness. An American Marriage. Such an important, important book for people to read. An old book that I continually recommend. One of my favorite historical fiction books um, is Someone Knows My Name. And that came out, gosh, I don't know, multiple years ago, but that's yeah. still one of my favorites. Um, I just love good fiction. And I really love good yeah. fiction um, that is really well-researched. Um, the Heart's Invisible Furies, that will probably be my top book of 2018. The Heart's Invisible what? Furies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you hear me typing right now? I'm literally typing as you're saying it. I'm typing yeah. all these titles. <laughs> yeah. You know, I buy everything I, you say. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is, And it's 600 plus pages. And I read it in three days while working a full-time job. I mean, I, I never heard of that. I don't know why you haven't. Um, it is, it is about a gay man's life from, I think it starts in the thirties and every chapter seven years has advanced. Oh, interesting and it goes, structure. It is really, really amazing. It's written by the same author who wrote the boy in the striped pajamas. Oh yeah. 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 And it is so, so, so phenomenal. Okay. Well, I wrote every one of those down. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read a, a book you recommended to me a couple of months ago. This is how it always is. And it was oh. heartrending. Like just yeah. so well written with such mm-hmm. compassionate and a gentle hand. I Anyway, the reason I always do what you say is because you have really good taste in books. So guys, listen, we'll link all that up over on the transcript page so you can check out all of these books if you didn't get to type them down as Jessica was talking. Okay, so real quick, will you just tell everybody kind of how to find you, how to find your new book that is just about to come out, where to find you on social, all that. Yes. So social, you can find me Jessica and Turner on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find my book Instagram account at book snobbery on Instagram, on Facebook. I am facebook.com slash the mom creative. And then the book stretch too thin. You can find information about that at stretch too thin book.com. And what's really fun right now, if you pre-order the book, you'll get the course that I mentioned, the 10 day video course, stretch too thin and the audiobook for free. So it's yeah. a really awesome deal. Hardback book less than 20 bucks and then you'll get the course and the audiobook for free. So awesome deal if you pre-order that. So all of that's on the blog or the stretchedtoothinbook.com. Fabulous. Perfect. Okay, my friend, you know, I just love you to pieces, just to bits and pieces. Um, Thank you for just being who you are. You've been such a good friend to me, really such a good friend. I know I tell you that a lot because it's true. Um, You and Matthew both drew in so close to Brandon and I at just such a crucial time. And do not imagine that we will ever forget that as long as we live. And so I'm hopeful that all my listeners are running to pre-order your book today um, because it's just going to be useful. I think they're going to get to the end of it and feel so relieved and so like able to steer their own ship, um, that they have a lot more control than they think they have. So anyway, I just love you friend. And, um, I'm just cheering you on cheering this book on. I hope it's just a smash, just a huge smashing success. Thank you so much, Jen. And you know, I feel the exact same way about you and Brandon. So thank you. Thank you. All right, sis. Bye. Bye. Great conversation, right? You guys really, really great. I am 
always energized after talking to Jessica. She's just one of those friends who she literally makes me better. (laughs) She just does. Um, She makes me better. She encourages me in my own space and my own career and my own family. Um, And so I hope some of that was practical for you. Listen, if you even liked one tenth of what we talked about, all that stuff is loaded in her new book. I mean, absolutely loaded to the gills. And so, um, she just sincerely cares about women who work and, and helping them manage their lives well. So go pre-order her book, get all the free goodies that she's offering with it. You will not regret it. That I can promise you. Um, thanks for sticking around all this time. You guys, they're just, you're such good listeners and you're so loyal and we are so grateful. My team and I, my producer, Laura, my assistant, Amanda, we, love doing this podcast for you. We love working hard for you. And, um, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for reviewing and rating the podcast and sharing it and talking about it. It's just, we're just, we are a grateful team. You guys, um, we've got more to come on this amazing parenting series. Uh, so if we haven't hit your sort of specific space yet, just come on back. We'll hit it the next week. So you guys, uh, have a great week. As always, I love being your friend and your online host, um, and I will see you next time. Hey guys, we're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Hey guys, I want to tell you about my dear friend, Jessica Honiger. So she's the founder of socially conscious fashion brand, Noonday Collection. You probably know. She's written a new book called Imperfect Courage, and she's going to be on the podcast on August 29th to talk about what it was like to be a first time writer. So you're going to be inspired by how she moved beyond her fears to make a real difference in the world and chase her dreams. You can pre-order her book, Imperfect Courage, right now on Amazon. Guys, Elaine Turner is a fellow Texan and fashion designer who has been called the Houston handbag queen. So not only does she have gorgeous purses, she's got the cutest clothes and shoes as well. So I wore one of her Laney dresses to my son's graduation. You may have seen it. I've actually worn it everywhere. Check out elaineturner.com. And just for our listeners, when you check out, use the code FORTHELOVE20 to get 20% off your whole first purchase. That's for the love 20 at elaineturner.com. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.